Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps. And then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. I want you to imagine something. This is what I want you to imagine. You sign up 
to go to war. Go to war for your country. Your dad went to war before you. His dad before him. Right now, not in the past, is 2020. You sign up and go to war. And you go through all the basic training to get yourself ready. And keep in mind, you grow up. You grew up with your father, right? Maybe had some talks with with your grandfather. Maybe your dad fought in Iraq or Afghanistan. Maybe Somalia. Maybe grandpa fought in the Vietnam War. You learn from their experience. You grow up a patriot, and you go off to war. You and your friends. You and your friends get to combat and you find out, no matter what you've learned, think of all the history of warfare, all the history we've talked about on this show. You know that too. You read the history books. You listen to the show. You find out when you get there, there's been a weapon invented that will kill you as soon as you stand up. As soon as anyone stands up, they die. How would you wrap your mind around that? Forgetting about the what it actually means for you physically. How would you adjust to something existing now that never existed before in the history of mankind, and now you are the one out there fighting and dying because of it? Watching your friends die. They're standing up. They're dying. Watching the officers, the generals, the people in charge calling the shots. Seemingly not adjust as fast as you're adjusting. All right, everybody, stand up. We're going to charge. And you're sitting there thinking, wait, no, what? If you stand up, you die. We just did this a thousand times. What are you talking about? But remember... They're still learning this too. They're, this is new information to them. All the war colleges and schools and classes. They were never taught anything about this. Ever. That sounds absurd, right? Stand up, you die. What are you talking about? The difference between... Virtually all of warfare leading up to World War I, and then World War I was that extreme. It was that extreme. And I was asked a lot. I did a show on Tuesday this week. The show was about Chosen Reservoir and how terrible it was during the Korean War and things like that. But I did a show earlier this week. And I said, Chosen Reservoir, the freezing, the misery, the the Chinese hordes pouring out of the mountains in the nights. I said that was the second worst place as far as warfare goes I could ever imagine. If I had to make my list of, like, this is the place, these are the places I least want to be, Chosen Reservoir is number two. And I said it in the show, but I still got emails of, well, what's number one? Clarify, what's number one? Number one is the trenches on the Western Front. In World War One, and it's not only because of the fighting conditions. It's not just that, and we're going to get to a lot of that here in a minute. It's not only because of that. This is why. 
fear, joy, happiness, sadness, whatever, whatever the human emotion spectrum is, whatever they are. It's mental, right? Life is really about your mentality. If all you've ever known is one meal a day, and then you wake up one morning and find out you get half a meal a day, that's tough. But you'll be fine. If all you've ever known is four meals a day, and you wake up and find out you get half a meal a day, that's a bitter pill to swallow. That could even kill you physically or mentally. It might break you. That's why I find World War I Western Front so bad. It's because the young men who fought it, especially early on, I'm talking about Brits, French, Germans. Remember, Germans were not the bad guys in this war, not really. You can classify them as that all you want. These were not, you know, the Third Reich Nazi Germans. It was easy to hate. They were actually really cool in this war. The young men fighting this war grew up reading about the ancient ones we talk about, too. Don't think we're the only people. Don't think you and I are the only ones fascinated with uh, Alexander the Great, who we did earlier this week, too. Everyone knows about Alexander the Great. The Romans grew up reading about Alexander the Great. But they grew up reading about hopping on horseback with a sword in your hand and your buddies beside you and charging at the enemy. Having a good go at him. They, the, Brits, the Brits love using terms like that, which is part of the reason why I love the Brits and love studying you know, British military things and battle things. They they have a way of putting such a a nonchalant spin on horrible things. I love the fact they're horrible, nasty little, you know, IRA civil war thing they had to fight. In Britain, they call it the Troubles. <laughs> That's all it It's the Troubles. You do a good cavalry charge cavalry charge, you I was we had to go at him. We had to go at each other. It was all good. Wait, there are people dead. Yeah, we had to go at each other. It's fine. You grew up. The worst thing on the battlefield was a cannon. An old school cannon. As far as rifles go, you grew up hearing about first muskets. Then, okay, you have weapons like a like an old school lever action Winchester. But, you know, okay, it's a weapon that can fire four or five rounds. You grew up in a world so separated from the world you just threw yourself into. And, man, there's a culture shock coming for you. Hang on. Your home title could get you kicked out of your house, evicted. That is not a pie-in-the-sky thing. That's not something that's happening 
in the movies that's happening right now. This is a direct quote from a lady named Deborah. a direct quote. Quote, I couldn't believe we were being evicted from our home that we did not sell. That's happening in the United States of America because home titles are digital now. Your home title is online and these cyber thieves spend all their time looking for them to get them, forge your signature on them, take out a loan against them, and you have to pay that loan back. If you don't, and you probably won't because you won't even know you took the loan, you're gone. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Register your address. See if you're already a victim. While you're there, sign up. Use the code JESSE. Get yourself 30 free days of protection. It's the shock of warfare being what it always was versus what it turned into in World War I. That's why I say the worst place in the world. It changed everything because technology changed. The difference between fighting in World War II and today is 80 years ago. Is, I mean, it's different, but not that different, right? If you took a United States infantry marine from World War II and you brought him into a, a Marine Corps infantry platoon today and handed him an M16, he'd need about two minutes before he could function that weapon. He could almost undoubtedly fire the weapon fine. And he would most definitely understand today's techniques of fire and maneuver. This is how we use smoke grenades. He used smoke grenades. This is how artillery is used. He saw artillery being used. This is how we use planes. Yeah, ours today are a bit more advanced, but he would understand it all. Naval vessels, they look relatively the same. He's entering roughly the same world. In the entire history of the world before World War I, I I understand firearms changed that and they were slowly advancing, but they pretty much existed in that world. All of a sudden, World War I was when the world completely changed. Oh, and in my World War II Marine versus now scenario, you could do the same thing for a Marine today if you wanted to take him back. Take a highly trained Marine today, infantry Marine, throw him in a grunt platoon in 1944, he'd be fine. Okay, just give me a couple extra minutes with the weapons so I can figure out how to charge the thing, clear out a jam. I'll be fine. Oh, wow, your equipment's kind of even more uncomfortable than ours was, which is really unbelievable, but okay, let's do it. We're fine. If you're a young man with the start of World War I, your father grew up telling you about swords. The men who fought in World War I, this is probably the clearest way I can put this for you. They were all born in the 1800s. And they found themselves one day in hell. Because man had, I guess we'll call it advanced. You understand that the fort, a basic fort, was used in the ancient Assyrian time. You remember, we just talked about Assyria. What was it, last week, two weeks ago? 
and had been used in every major conflict, civil war, everything up to this point, to kick off World War I, the Germans used what was called the Schlieffen Plan. It's very famous. And this was essentially the German plan. You know about the alliances of World War I. Just do a brief background on that. This was an era where alliances were critical. Now, alliances are always critical, but people took their alliances very seriously back then. And the status of all the world powers at this point in time is simply this. Britain, and this is going to come into play for our story today, Britain was the most powerful nation in the world. It will help a lot if you think of Britain in World War I like you think of us today. They were that, very much so. Since we existed back then, you like to think, wow, I'm sure we were the, no, we were not the world power then. Britain was, very much so, financially. France probably had the best army in the world, and France at this time, they had the best military history of maybe any country on the planet. Isn't that weird to think about? Isn't that, remember when I, t- look, we're going to talk about this a lot today. Everything changed in World War I. Up to this point in time, if you're surveying as an impartial observer, every country that existed on the planet currently in 1914, you're looking at France and you would laugh at somebody who made a joke about France's military. You'd be all, wait, are you serious? They've been dominating everybody forever. France is awesome. So not only do you have the best military, you have a history of kicking the crap out of people. And you're very proud. This is going to come into play for our story today, too. You're very, very proud of France. France, especially at this time, I can't, I can't speak to them today. Very nationalist, nationalistic, patriotic, whatever way you want to put it, country. They like their monuments. They're proud of their grounds. They are. And then you have Germany. And this can be hard to understand, too. But Germany is a pretty new country at this point. There was Prussia. Then there's not Prussia. And Prussia's kind of Germany. And I realized there were Germanic people fighting the Romans. And sometimes they're beating the crap out of the Romans in the old days. But it's, it's Germany as a, as a modern nation state, very new at this point in time. And I don't care how uncomfortable this makes everybody. It's just a fact The German people were really, really cool back then. Something to be admired, big time. They were uber patriotic, a very religious nation. We don't think about them like that today. Everyone likes to imagine they're just a bunch of demon-worshipping Nazis. But very religious people. Still, every German stereotype outside of Nazism was uber, uber German back then. Detail-oriented freaks. Math. Engineering. Very stern. Even their language is very stern. Their freaking helmets they used were called the Stahlhelm. Even that sounds scary and cool, right? And because they are so diligent, very family-oriented, Germany is on the rise, and they are on the rise quickly. Their population is exploding, as populations do when your economy is booming and you're a religious-based country who believes in family. People are getting married. They're getting married early. They're cranking out 9,000 kids, and they're going to work and earning a living. And Germany is starting to flex its muscles a little bit and looking around thinking to itself, 
What's France got that we don't? Not much that I can see. I think we can take those French. But Germany, obviously there are flaws that come with good things. And one of those flaws, and this is going to play a part in this war, this is why some people do blame this whole thing on Germany. Germany wants something that Britain and France have, but Germany doesn't because Germany's so new. Britain and France, early 1900s, sounds weird now, but Britain and France have colonies, lots of them, all over the world. Germany doesn't. Germany would like to add some lands. Why do you have people that that you've colonized and we don't? We're better than you are. And Germany was feeling a bit threatened because of the European tensions you see, you have France right to your right to your west if you're Germany. You have Britain right to your north. There's this a little beyond brotherly anger thing between all of them, a little resentment. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. And Germany really, really needs, they need the shipping coming through that English channel in order to feed that booming population. Them, all them babies got to eat. With the snap of their fingers, Britain at this time can starve Germany to death. Germany doesn't like that. Germany needs friends. Because Britain and France at this point, I know they've got a rough history, but Britain and France at this point are friends. As much as anybody can be friends with the French, and we'll get to that in a little while. Germany goes hunting for friends. Germany finds the nation of Austria-Hungary, and Germany finds Turkey, the Ottoman Empire. Whatever you want to call We're going to call them Turkey for the purposes of today. Here's the problem. We already said Britain's the most powerful nation in the world. France probably has the best army in the world. Germany's out of dance partners. So the two they have are the old toothless women at the bar at 2 a.m. The Austria-Hungary uh, nation is weak and soft all kinds of unrest. Their military sucks. They suck. The Ottoman Empire, this ain't the year 1300 anymore, Jack. They suck now. Old, breaking down. Nations don't last forever. We won't either. And then we have Russia. And Russia, what's funny about Russia is, Russia was, at this time, even though they were ruled by a czar, Russia was then... The same way Russia was in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and today. Russia was a gigantic, scary country. Kind of couldn't ever get its economic situation figured out. Moved slow, inefficient, extremely divided peoples. Not a unified nation by any stretch of the imagination. Governments. A little tyrannical to very tyrannical. Not a great value placed on human life. Does any of this sound familiar? Yeah, it's Russia. Sounds like Russia. And that's very much who they were at this time. Circling way back to where I began here. I got a little sidetrack there to the Schlieffen plan. Schlieffen was a German general. He, I don't know whether he knew or assumed that war would come one day, or whether he was just planning for the worst. But Schlieffen came up with an idea to take over all of it. 
Venga. How exposed is your information online? How much of your info is out there? Don't get me wrong. I don't think you're naive. I don't think you'd have a public profile with your home address, your online dating profile, info, info, gun records, all your previous addresses, things like that. I don't think you knowingly put that information out there for all to see. But something like that may be happening with your online info. What I mean is there could be public records posted online about you. You wouldn't paint your info on the garage door, right? But you could be leaving a footprint everywhere you go online. A lot of things you do, maybe records you didn't even set up yourself, those might be out there for everybody to see. It's more important than ever you find out what could be posted online about you. Go ahead and look up your name or anyone else's right now. Go to getthetruthnow.com. That's getthetruthnow.com. Enter your own name. See instant results. The Schlieffen Plan. The Schlieffen Plan. It was a good plan in my opinion. It's much debated to this day. If you get around some military history nerd, they will rip it limb from limb. Some love it, some hate it. The plan was this. If we have to fight continental Europe, we will have to do it quickly because France and Russia and Britain were all bud buds. We will have to knock out France first because you cannot fight a two-front war, definitely not you know, over a long period of time. So the plan involved throwing everything they had at France, only bypassing France's borders and going after France on the border they didn't really secure. You see Germany borders France except for this little area up north where this poor country called Belgium is. And the Germans, although it sounds a little cold, but war is cold. See, I told you I always end up defending the Germans in World War I. War is cold. War is violence. Their plan was, let's just go through Belgium. Yes, I realize Belgium's a neutral country, and that's going to make some people mad. But look, Belgium's going to be okay with it. At least they're not going to fight us. I mean, these people aren't psychos. Just step aside and let us drive the tanks on through, Jack. We're going to war. Oh, sorry. I stepped on your shrubs. Our bad. We're just going to move on through. That's not how it worked. World War I kicks off, as you know, because the Austria-Hungarian leader, Franz Ferdinand, is assassinated. By a terrorist? Freedom fighter? Gets uncomfortable now, doesn't it? His name is Gavriel Princip. I don't know how you want to look at him. He was a young, idealistic young man. Not a big fan of the Austria-Hungarian Empire. To put it mildly, they're having secret meetings in taverns over cigarettes and beer getting letters 
possibly from the Serbian intelligence agency, about where Archduke Franz Ferdinand's going to be. I've already gone over the assassination before. I will again one day, just know he lucks out big time and ends up killing the Archduke Franz Ferdinand after he blows it the first time and the Archduke's wife. Austria-Hungary decides, okay, well, it's on now. Here's a list of 10,000 things you have to do for us or we're going to war. The Serbs can't possibly do the things Austria-Hungary demands. And so Serbia, knowing they can't beat the Austria-Hungarians either, turn to their big brother Russia and say, are you going to let them talk to us like this? And Russia says, no, I don't think I will. Austria-Hungary, you stay out of there. To which Austria-Hungary says, hey, are you going to let the Russians talk to us like this? Looking at their buddies, the Germans, and Germany says, no, I don't think I will. And then in comes France. Britain was actually the big wild card. Everyone thinks Britain just jumped in. It was a big toss-up and debated in the British government whether to fight with the Germans or even be neutral. It's a big deal. The Germans, a lot of people in the German high command were actually stunned that the Brits joined with France. They thought they were going to join with them. A little mis- miscalculation there. But boom, war's on. Germany charges through Belgium. The Belgians do not. By the way, I should just say as a quick side note, it's very weird to me, and I'll never get used to it, how the country's called Belgium with an M, but the people are called Belgians with an N. Why aren't they called Belgiums? Oh, let's not major on the minor here. Quit getting me distracted, Chris. Germany charges through. They charge into France. They end up getting stopped. Everybody digs in now because people are a little stunned at the initial breakout of World War I at how easy it is to kill other human beings. This thing called the machine gun that had been used, I mean, sporadically, it's not like they had no idea it existed. It turns out this thing really works when generals, platoon commanders, everybody down the line only has ever known, stand in a line and run or walk at the enemy. I could teach a child how to operate a machine gun and mow down an entire company of United States Marines if the Marines just stood up in a straight line and ran right at him. Like playing a video game, aim and squeeze the trigger, and it is that easy. It is. When you're churning lead down range like that, it's that easy. Well, these countries very early on, all of them, are a little bit taken aback. Um, we lo- I'm sorry we lost how many? And that's going to play a part in our story too, and let's focus on this for just a second. You've heard me do a million different stories on the American Revolution. Something that took place in the Old West or, or any other battle across, across the world in the old days. Now, they could get very big in Napoleon's times, Alexander's times, the Romans. You know, Hannibal wiped out a couple 30,000, 40,000 man Roman armies. But for the most part, what do I tell you when it comes to these engagements? It's 3,000, 4,000 dudes. 
5,000 dudes dead? Okay. Countries are finding out we lost 20,000, 30,000 men yesterday. This is not something people are prepared to deal with at all. So the entire thing shocks everybody, and it essentially locks down. And then it locks them down for a couple years, and I'm skipping over eight trillion things that I will cover at another time on various shows because I'm trying to get somewhere today, and I somehow I'm still a million miles away from it. They are locked down, and they're locked down in France. Remember, World War I was obviously fought on other fronts as well. There was an eastern front where the Germans beat the crap out of the Russians. There was fighting down in Turkey. Were they actually Turkey for being old and feeble acquitted themselves very well? But for the most part, the Western Front, that was in France, not in Germany. And Germany comes up with this plan to fight a battle called Verdun. And today's not about Verdun either, but know this, it's important. Verdun is in France. Verdun is very important to the French people culturally. It is kind of a fortress. The Germans sweep in there, surprise the French, and slaughter them, lots of them. And then the French turn around and do very well for themselves and slaughter the Germans. And it's this humongous disaster of an area that we will go over another time. It's the, it's known as like the artillery battle in history where people were just turned into soup on the, on the battlefield. It was a disaster. And both sides, France and Germany, lost way more men than they could handle. Here's the problem with Verdun and why Verdun matters to our story, which is the Somme, the Battle of the Somme, which took place in 1916. This Battle of the Somme was supposed to be bigger, and it was supposed to be a major joint British-slash-French affair. But at this time, when Verdun is done, France is almost done. France is hanging by a thread now. They just don't have the men. One-fifth of the nation of France fought in this war. Do you understand how many people that is? That's, that's everybody. That's all your young men. They're fighting, they're dying, and they're losing them. Now France has to go to Britain and have a very difficult conversation. A very difficult conversation. One that's a bitter pill for the Brits to swallow. Hang on. I love my Raycon earbuds. My Raycon earbuds, well, they're comfortable. I know that sounds that sounds simplistic, but I have had a lot of earbuds. And so much of the time they give me about 45 minutes to an hour in my ears hurt. You know, they're they're not made to have something in there unless they're made well. My Raycon earbuds, not only did they cost me like half of the other premium wireless earbuds, not only do they Bluetooth pair easily, the sound is incredible, but they're comfortable. 
you will see me with my Raycon earbuds in, undoubtedly, if you ever meet me, because I have them in all the time. I even have them in when I'm in my car. Go check these things out. You will not regret it. And buy one for your spouse as well. They'll thank you. Go to buyraycon.com slash jesse. That's buyraycon.com slash jesse. That gets you an extra 15% off. Remember I said this battle took place in France? The war took place in France? Well, Britain and France had a major offensive plan for 2016. That was right up until Verdun. And France had to go make a very, very, very uncomfortable phone call. And they had to sit down with the Brits and say, yeah, we can't join you on your offensive. To which, obviously, the Brits had to say, well, what? Why not? I thought we were in this together. You need to join. And there's a lot of threatening going on. Threatening here, pushing here, carrots and sticks. And France has the ultimate trump card because it's totally true. France tells Britain at this time, not only are we not going to be joining your offensive in a major way. France sent people there. They they fought it. Not only are we not going to be joining your offensive in a major way. If you don't still do an offensive, we might get out of the war. You have to take these Germans off our back and off our back now. We are breaking. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the food. And they were already having a socialist revolution, civil unrest within the borders of France at this time. People were starting to get angry and horrified at the loss of life. The British commander, Haig, decides he's going on anyway, and I don't want to defend Douglas Haig. I do not. I'm not going to defend Douglas Haig. There are people to this day who hate this man. The Brits at the time hated this man, especially after the Battle of the Somme, and for many, many years after. Hated him. There were people who wanted him brought up on war crimes trials for being a bad general. Is that how we can put this? Germany's in a bad spot at this time, too. We should mention it wasn't just France. Germany actually had a violence problem within its borders at this time. All the young men were off fighting. All the dads were off fighting. You had a bunch of very angry, fatherless teenagers in the country at this time. And I don't think I have to elaborate for anybody in the United States of America what happens when a bunch of young men don't have dads. You're seeing it play out in cities across the United States of America. Dads matter a lot. Germany has people rioting over the lack of food because they're sending all the food to the front because the Brits are blockading the German ports just like the Germans were worried about. It's a problem. They all have problems. Britain, on the other hand, is not doing that bad right now. The war's been on French soil, not British soil. They certainly have taken some heavy losses, but as of this point, the British people... One, they're eating well. Pays to have the best Navy in the world. All the, ain't a Brit's going hungry these days. They're eating well. 
They're winning. They're not facing mass casualties, and there aren't Germans on their soil, which always was a a, t- a spot of tension for the French. Yeah, they're here. We are a little bit more desperate. They're not on. They're not in London. They're next to Paris. Where are you? It was always a spot of tension. There was always a question of, are the Brits motivated enough to come help? And the Brits were always feeling like, um, these French are really demanding. We're trying. An understandable tension on both sides. But the Brits were okay. And the British people at this time, up to the Battle of the Somme, were okay with World War One. They wanted their country involved in World War I in the same way, remember I told you to think about Britain like us today, in the same way you would want us involved in some major world engagement. You'd want us involved, most likely, and you would want us to lead it, most likely. It would be a no-brainer. Well, yeah, we're going to be involved. We're the superpower. Of course we're involved. Yeah, and obviously our generals are going to be calling the shots. The Brits felt that way and very proud of their country at the time, understandably so. So they plan this offensive. And the offensive is in an area with grassy hills. No trees, grassy hills. And Haig, the commander of the British Expeditionary Force, has a plan. And this is his plan. And on my life, I have no earthly idea how anybody could be this dumb. And yet, I somehow sympathize. Maybe everyone was still this dumb. But this isn't the beginning of 1914. They've been fighting for two years now. This is 1916. You know about machine guns? Don't tell me you don't. You do. You know about trench warfare. You dang sure know about artillery. You know what it can do. You know what it can't do. But Haig lacked imagination, to put it kindly. This was Haig's plan. Okay, the Germans are dug in on these grassy rolling hills. Our plan is this. We're going to fire artillery at them. Yeah, that look you're giving the radio right now, that's the same look everyone else said. Wait. Wait, what? What do you... That's the plan? We've been firing artillery at the Germans. What are you talking about? They're dug in. And we need to do a brief side side note on this. Remember the Germans we were talking about? Details, engineering, very stern, hardworking. Yeah, their trenches reflect that, reflected that. By now, Germany, they have trenches with wallpaper in some of them. Concrete. They're making themselves mini hotels. Not an actual hotel, but practically mini hotels in the trenches. Germany's trenches are improving rapidly. German engineering is what it is. It has that reputation for a reason. And Haig's plan is to to shoot artillery at them. And Haig gets some pushback on this, and Haig says, no, 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 wait, there's more. Hang on. A good night's sleep is something you need every single night, and if you're not getting it, you're not being the best person you can be. You're just not. 
and I have done all the things you're doing. I've done the, the mouthpiece thing. I've done sleeping pills. I've done it all. Nothing has worked like EbSleep, not even close. EbSleep is not pills. It's a wearable device. It applies precise, continuous cooling to your forehead area, putting you asleep faster and keeping you asleep. They're so confident in what they do, and they should be. They're so confident in what they do, they'll let you try it risk-free for 60 days. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryeb.com slash jesse. Don't forget to enter the code jesse at checkout. That actually gets you 25 bucks off. Stop thinking about sleeping. Start sleeping every single night. No, I've got more to my plan, says Douglas Haig. It's not just shooting artillery at them. It's shooting a lot of artillery at them. And I'm, I'm being awfully hard on him. But I don't know how I'm supposed to interpret this any other way. That was the plan. It wasn't just shoot artillery at the entrenched Germans. His plan was to shoot so much artillery at them, it would blow them out of their trenches or, in the very least, destroy the barbed wire the Germans used to surround their trenches. And, and, and the, uh, the, you know, the Allied powers, they weren't called Allied powers, but I'm using that for our purposes. The Allied powers used barbed wire too. Barbed wire was critical. You would line the front of your trenches with it so people couldn't go charging right through it. Barbed wire made life a living hell for a lot of people. Haig thinks he's going to shoot so much artillery, he'll either kill all the Germans where they sit, or in the very least, blow massive gaps in the barbed wire that will allow the Brits to go charging through it. Hang on. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Peg wants to shoot over a million artillery shells at the Germans. And I, I don't know how to put it to you. That's the plan. Now, he does, to his credit, I don't want to undersell him, does want to add what's called a creeping barrage to it. I don't expect you to know what that is. Here's what it is. I'm walking forward as an infantry soldier. The artillery is walking with me, landing in front of me towards them, clearing things out, clouding things for them. You're landing smoke rounds there. You're landing all kinds of things there, making it difficult for them. You're essentially forming a wall of steel in front of me. Now, you got to be real careful when we use the word in front. In front better be a decent distance away, but not too far away. Remember that, not too far away. Now, the Brits do have a couple other little wrinkles they're adding to this. You see those German trenches 
They've been there for a long time in this area, and the Brits have been planning a couple special little surprises for a long time in this area. One of them is one of my favorite stories that nobody knows ever. The Brits were digging tunnels underneath the ground by hand for two years to get underneath the Germans on some of these hilltops and stacking explosives in the mines underneath the Germans in some of these spots, unbeknownst to the Germans. The Germans didn't know there were a bunch of tunnel rats digging their way underneath them. To kick off the battle, the Brits set off some of these mines they had. One was so big, it was the loudest man-made sound, they say, in the history of mankind outside of the atomic bomb. London was 200 miles from where the Battle of the Somme took place. They heard this explosion in London. Picture something 200 miles away that you can hear. They blew a bunch of Germans and turned, they blew them up and turned them into vapor instantly. Vaporized a bunch of Germans to help kick off the start of this whole thing. And then they began an artillery barrage. Several days of artillery. And again, if I have to say something kind about Haig, the Germans who were there did say, no, it didn't do us any harm at all. We were in these amazing trenches. The, the artillery didn't hurt us at all physically. But it screwed them up mentally badly because when I say they fired artillery shells, I mean they fired 1.7 million artillery shells. If you've ever, and I have had the displeasure, but if you've ever heard one artillery shell go off in your presence, anywhere near your presence, it is not something you will forget. You can't breathe. It's so loud and the concussion is so bad. 1.7 million. It was something absurd, like 140 shells per acre on the battlefield. And maybe that's why Haig was so confident that this much artillery would blow them out of there. What it did do, it almost put the Germans in, I, some guys called it listless, another guy called it dreamlike. It put the Germans in almost like a drunk, almost like they'd had too much to drink state. That much artillery can mess your mind up, your nervous system up. It messed up the Germans bad, and the Germans could sleep. Obviously, it's a bit difficult to sleep, even if you're used to combat. It's just tough. Very, very tough. And they blow them up and they blow them up and they blow them up and the Germans are still fine. And then soon you're almost out of artillery shells and you have a plan for the battle. So it's time to cook off the creeping barrage and send in all those brave, wonderful British soldiers in to do your fighting and mop up whatever poor German souls happen to still be left in the trenches. Because surely they're hurting, right? Surely the barbed wire, in the very least, is gone. Never mind they were using shrapnel rounds for lots of this time. You know what shrapnel rounds are? Shrapnel rounds are anti-personnel mine, or, or anti-personnel rounds. I don't want to nerd out for you too much. They're rounds that explode above the ground. They do not hit and blow up. There are penetrating rounds you would use for bunkers and such, where they don't blow up for... 
you know, a while after it lands because you want it to bury itself and then explode. And then there are shrapnel rounds for people. They blow up above the ground, spread that shrapnel everywhere, destroy a bunch of people. One, that doesn't work if the people are in trenches. And two, that's not going to destroy barbed wire. I don't care how many of them you shoot. The barbed wire is still just sitting there. Even if you happen to hit some of it with some shrapnel, it's just going to nick off. They fire their creeping barrage. The men start marching. The men get the whistles to go over the top. One, the creeping barrage gets too far out in front of the men. I have no idea how you could screw up something like that after this much time practicing with your artillery, but they did. Two, the men had to travel up grassy slopes to entrenched Germans who had machine guns trained on this specific area for a long time. And when I say travel up the grassy slopes, I don't mean had to get up and run 75 feet. In some cases, they had to walk and or jog 800 yards across an open field and Germans who were just sitting there watching them. Some of the Germans talked about it didn't, they thought they were messing with them. What are these, what are these idiots doing? They're just coming at us and coming at them in lines, shoulder to shoulder. And the Germans simply destroyed them. They wiped them out. The Brits would run up to these barbed wire things that had not been destroyed. And obviously some Brits knew they were going to encounter some barbed wire at some point, so they would have barbed wire cutters, but not everybody had barbed wire cutters. And even if everyone did, the natural human instinct when you're under machine gun fire is, let me first, let me finish filling my pants. Second, let me out. I need out. Whether that's forward or back, get me out of here. So they would bunch up at the areas where they were trying to cut through and sometimes actually cutting through the barbed wire only. Can you imagine sitting in a machine gun nest from an elevated position staring at a tiny door, a tiny gap in the barbed wire where 20, 30, 40, 50 men have chosen to gather up in front of you? You can kill several men with one shot. The British still talk about this day. This day, this battle of the Somme, the battle overall, may be as consequential to the history and future of the world as any battle in the history of mankind. You know Hitler fought here? You know Tolkien, the guy who wrote all those Lord of the Rings books and whatnot? You know he fought here? There, were, there are others. There are several different authors and people who came out of this horrific nightmare. But after this day, day one, the British weren't all that excited about World War I anymore. Because they had 57,000 casualties on the first day. On the first day. And... To make it worse, I don't know, better, worse, I don't know how you want to put this. They had something, we've talked about it briefly before in Britain at this time. You see, in Britain, it's 
it's hard to get people to sign up for a war. Countries have always struggled with this. And so Britain had to take some some extra steps. Hey. Miss something? There's a podcast. Get it on demand wherever podcasts are found. The Jesse Kelly Show. Simply safe is simple. It really is. They make having outstanding home security simple. And it is outstanding. You know, Simply Safe Home Security is monitored by a professional 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, they have emergency dispatch services. That's police, fire, medical. They have it right there, Simply Safe. They have cameras, they have sensors. You can get Simply Safe starting for $15 a month. And it's so easy because you just have to go online. Go to simplysafe.com slash Jesse and just pick out what you want. They will mail it to you. You open it up. You place the sensors. You plug it in. And that's it. You're done. You're covered. It's awesome. Go to simplysafe.com slash Jesse. That's simplysafe.com slash Jesse. That gets you free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. The Brits had to do a couple things to increase their recruiting efforts. One of the things they did, and I genuinely don't know how I feel about it, they were called, in general, they were called PALS divisions. And this is what it was. They would take the young men in a small town or a small village, and they would keep them together. Because the young men, young patriotic Brits are signing up and they're, they're, I mean, it works out well, right? You're going through recruit training together. You've known these men your whole life. You're leaning on each other, encouraging each other, discouraging each other, giving each other crap. You know how men do. That works really, really well. It works really, really well for unit cohesion. It works well for knowing how this guy's going to react or that guy's going to react. There are, I mean, it's just a laundry list of things that work out really, really well when you do this. Until you get to World War I and you have some units at the Battle of the Somme that suffer 91% casualties. In Britain, because there were too many people dying, they didn't send somebody to knock on your door every single time someone died. They sent you a telegram. You got a telegram. That's what you got. I know that's cold, but that's life. There are stories about these little villages, these little towns, where 50, 100, pick your number of young mothers and young wives got telegrams the same day and the town itself got informed oh all your men all your young men are dead now 
They say the POWs divisions and the fact that some POWs divisions were wiped out, they say it affects people. It affects the psyche of a nation, even though everyone who was alive then is dead now. They say it affects the psyche of Britain to this day, the POWs divisions. Picture that in your area. Everyone gets a text message, which is what it would be. That's the telegram version. That's the modern-day version of that. Every mother in your area gets a text message the same day. Your 19-year-old son is dead, and he's never coming home. That's a kind of collective devastation. You can't, I mean, you can't, you and I will never know, Lord willing, what that feels like. But you can't even be there to support each other because everyone's going through it. I think about this a lot when I think about World War I. By the way, the Brits eventually won the Battle of the Somme. It wasn't a one-day thing. It went on for, I believe it was 150 days. This is where, you know what a tank is? You obviously know what a tank is. Congratulations. It got its debut at the Battle of the Somme. Now, granted, like half of them broke down because they didn't know what to do with it. But it turned out to be very, very successful back then. It's mobile cover. You throw a couple guns on it. It can drive over that barbed wire. They rolled it out, and they rolled it out so successfully. You got people like Churchill telling everybody, ah, can I get a double order on the next one? So there you go. But there are times as a world, as a nation, there are times where Everything just changes, and it can hurt so bad. And I think I think we're in the middle of one of those times now where we're seeing an economy completely change, completely remake itself, the future of restaurants is going to look different than everything you've ever known in this country as far as restaurants go. It is. It is. Even if we eventually shake these idiotic restrictions, we're going to have lost so many restaurants, it'll just take, oh, gosh, it's going to take a generation to get them back, if not more. The future of the business world is going to change. Businesses are always 100% of the time, businesses are looking for a way to reduce overhead. Businesses are finding out now, and I think it's a huge mistake. Businesses are finding out now we can reduce our office overhead costs by having everybody work at home. Okay, setting aside what that means for commerce for a moment, What does that mean for commercial real estate, for landlords? What does that mean? Think about this. Think about this. Maybe this is pie in the sky. Maybe this is wrong, but think about this. What do you think that means for those skyscrapers you're used to seeing? What do you think goes in those skyscrapers? Businesses go in those skyscrapers. Obviously, there are some that are apartments and some that are split, but businesses go in those skyscrapers. 
How many brand new skyscrapers are going to be built in the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in America if nobody's there to rent out the office space? Didn't see that one, did you? I was just thinking about it last night. Believe me, I didn't see it either. We're in the middle of a change. And we are, as I've talked about before to you, we're in a change in America from something we've always known. And it's going to be painful. We have to figure out a way to navigate through it. But this is the truth. The truth is we have entered in a post-constitutional age in this country. It's unlike anything we've ever had. Yes, we've had divisions in America, and we fought a civil war, but as far as a united country goes, we have half the United States of America, or at least one of the two political parties, that hates this place. That's an adjustment. Democrats and Republicans have never gotten along, nor would I expect two political parties to get along. When one of them hates the place, that's going to mean a different future than you know. Than you've known, I should say. Societies have changes, upheavals, where everything changes. And the problem isn't always the change. The problem is the failure to adjust to the change. As I've told you, there are people who are born... I believe this all the way, to be rule followers. There are people who are born rule breakers. My wife, rule follower, all the way. Well, you can't set that out there. Why not? Well, the HOA said in paragraph C that you're not allowed. Like It would never even occur to me even read that, let alone follow it. Well, no, but I want to set it out there. So that's what I'm going to do. Her brain doesn't work that way. Stresses her out. That's fine. She's not wrong at all. It's how she's made. It's how she's created. I don't even think I'm wrong. It's just different. But in the future, this era we are going into, you are going to have to become comfortable breaking some rules, and this is going to be real tough for you to swallow, especially because your kids are probably listening, and I'm talking to you about them You're going to have to teach your kids that it's okay to break the rules, too. You are. Oh, I can't. No, I can't come over and I can't come over and play with Johnny because he doesn't have his mask and face shield back yet. Oh, shut up. Go play with Johnny. Screw everybody else. This is a society now where you're going to have to make some adjustments. All right, it's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, 877-377-4383. Hang on. My Raycon earbuds are a fixture now, and I love that they don't look stupid. <laughs> I don't mean to be I don't mean to be harsh, but I've had earbuds before. I've had the ones with the wire that connects the two. You either got to pick under your chin or behind your neck, but it still looks terrible. I've had other earbuds. You've probably seen these. They stick out like radio antennas from your ears. It looks stupid. 
my Raycon earbuds. They're just these tiny little black things, and they fit in my ear. They don't stick outside of my ear at all. I've actually had people talk to me with these things in before because they didn't realize I had them in. Comfortable. They pair easily. The sound is so good. You should hear the bass on these things. Go to buyraycon.com slash jesse. That's buyraycon.com slash jesse. That gets you 15% off your Raycon wireless earbuds. It is an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, and let us begin with one that was emailed in earlier this week. I'm not allowed to say who it's from, but this was the question. No, it's based off my FBI J. Edgar Hoover show. Who's the bigger tyrant of the B.I.? Remember when Hoover took over, it was just the Bureau of Investigation. Hoover or James Comey? Well... I mean, Hoover was there under, what was it, seven presidents, Chris? I believe it was seven presidents, 48 years. 48 years, J. Edgar Hoover was there. And J. Edgar Hoover ruined lives on purpose. And ruined lives on purpose simply out of spite sometimes. Remember Melvin Purvis, the dude who shot Pretty Boy Floyd and all that? What, you don't agree? I'm getting to Comey. I'm just going through the list in my mind, okay? Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover was bad. It, 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 it was really bad. You know I talked about it the other day. I liked that he was always going after commies. But when you're ruining the life of agents who served under you just because they get more glory than you do, that's not... It's hard to twist. And you know I'm happy to make excuses for people. It's hard to twist that around into Hoover being an okay guy. All right, now that's Hoover. James Comey. Here's what James Comey is. You remember I told you just a couple minutes ago about how you need to start being more comfortable being a rule breaker? This applies to people like James Comey because here's what James Comey is. You know what? Let me look it up while I'm while I'm right here. We're doing this on the air. I don't even know his entire background, but I bet you money. Hold on. It's loading here on my phone. I bet you money it's loaded with this accomplishment and that accomplishment and that accomplishment. Let's see. It's down here. Early career. Well, I'm only looking at Wikipedia, so keep that in mind, but already I'm looking at Early career. After law school, Comey was a law law clerk and the United States district judge. Then he was an associate for Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher, some big shot New York City lawyer office. Then he joined the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. By the way, I don't expect you to be up on all the law nerd stuff, but to be in the Southern District of New York as an attorney is a big, big, big deal. That's where the wannabe politicians go. That's where you're taking down organized crime and the big boys. Maybe you've heard of a man named Rudy Giuliani. Where do you think he came from? The Southern District of New York. Oh, look right here. It says right here. And helped prosecute the Gambino crime family. That's where you go 
If you're aspirational, climbing up the ladder, I imagine you got to kiss plenty of butt to even get into the Southern District of New York. What a shock. And then I'm not going to go through the rest of it because I'm just looking at the highlights. Career, Clinton administration, 96 to 2001. Career, Bush administration, 2002 to 2005. Private sector, 2005 to 2013. I'm about 9,000% sure I'm going to click on this and I'm going to see a list of major corporations where Comey made millions. Let's see. Let's just go first paragraph. Comey left the Department of Justice August 2005 and August 2005 announced Comey would enter the private sector. Oh, of course, becoming general counsel and senior vice president for Lockheed Martin. Maybe you've heard of them. Let's put it this way. He was making more money than you and I make. Then, director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation 2013 to 2017. You may see that as a life of serious accomplishment, and I'm actually not going to argue with you on that. That's a laundry list of cool things. That's quite a life. But, but, that's a dude very, 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 in the in crowd. And that's a dude very intent on staying in the in crowd. That's a guy getting snubbed, didn't get invited to the cocktail party at Judge whatever his name's house in the Hamptons. Comey will stay up all night agonizing over that. What did he do wrong? Honey, can you, what did I do? Should I, should I send a Christmas card to judge this so I can be invited next year? You know I'm right. Have you heard the man talk? That's who James Comey is. His life is being in that in crowd. When Barack Obama approaches you, President of the United States of America asks you to do things, you do them. When George Bush approaches you, you do them. When Bill Clinton approaches you, you do them. When Donald Trump fires you publicly, that's the end of your world. What Comey did Well, there's no excuse for it, is there? Director of the FBI. There's no excuse for what happened. None. You cannot possibly make an excuse for what happened. What happened? Let's just recap this briefly. Hillary Clinton's campaign. They wanted dirt on Donald Trump. That's not abnormal. They used a foreign intelligence agent a discredited foreign intelligence agent, but that's for another story. They used a foreign intelligence agent to dig up dirt on Donald Trump. The guy didn't have a lot of dirt on Donald Trump, so he used some extremely unreliable Russian sources, probably on purpose, and got a bunch of information that wasn't true. Created a dossier. The man's name is Christopher Steele. Created the what we know as the Steele dossier. Gave that to the Clinton campaign. The Clinton campaign got it into the hands of James Comey, who used 
bad information. We already have one FBI lawyer who's already pleaded guilty or about to plead guilty to falsifying information to try to get this FISA warrant, used bad information on purpose to spy on the political opponent of a U.S. president. J. Edgar Hoover did a lot of very, very, very bad, inexcusable things. J. Edgar Hoover, in my opinion, is unquestionably a worse dude than James Comey. James Comey's a big goober dork whose life is being approved. His entire world is seeking out the approval and staying in the in crowd. I bet you money, without even looking into it, I bet you money James Comey had parents who were very hard on him, especially when it came to grades. Kind of a daddy doesn't love you unless you got a, because you got a B minus type thing. Thank the God on high. My parents weren't like that. What, Chris? I was lectured about grades. Oh, they yelled at me about grades. But at some point in time, they're like, look, he is what he is. All right. My dad to this day will make fun of me for how, this is my dad. We'll be talking about the kids. And it'll come up how the kids are doing in school. And my dad will be like, well, thank goodness they didn't take after you. Did you even pass algebra in college? That's my dad. That's who he is. So, again, my parents knew who I was. But James Comey is just one of those goobers who could never could never break a rule. I have to do what I'm told. Oh, this is, this is what Obama wants done, so I have to do it. And if you're that guy, again... If you're not comfortable breaking the rules, that can really, really come back and bite you hard. Really, really hard. James Comey, a better guy than Hoover, but quite possibly did more damage to the fabric of the United States of America. Possibly. How exposed is your information online? How much of your information is out there? Don't get me wrong. I don't think you're naive. I don't think you have a public profile with your home address, your online dating profile info, gun records, all your previous addresses, things like that. I don't think you'd knowingly put all that information out there for all to see. But something like that might be happening with your information online. What I mean is there may be public records posted online about you. You wouldn't paint your private information on your garage door, right? But you could be leaving a footprint everywhere you go when you're online. A lot of things you do, maybe records you didn't even set up yourself, they could be out there and others might be able to see them. It's more important than ever to find out what could be posted online about you. Go ahead, look up your name or anyone else's right now. Go to getthetruthnow.com. Again, that's getthetruthnow.com. Enter your own name. Get instant results. Dr. Jesse, 
What is your position on plastic surgery for women? Now, I assume he's talking about, um, well, this is a family show. I'm assuming he's talking about frontal plastic surgery, whatever the case may be. Look, here's what, here's what it is. Let's just be frank about this. I'm totally okay with it. It's not one of those things that I that I prefer. It's not one of those things I don't prefer. When I say I don't prefer it, it's not as all, man, it's some fake ones. I have seen several women get them and swear by them. Absolutely swear by them. Makes them feel better. Makes them feel sexier. If that's what you need, do it. It's your body. However, there is a caveat to that. They're like tattoos, and this is what I mean. I've seen this time and time again. A woman will get something done, whether it be the the frontal surgery or maybe something to her face or nose or something like that, get a little something done because everybody dips their toe in the water when you try something like that, right? Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to go John Dillinger. Let's just, just I want to, we make things a little. And because they dip their toe in and do a little something right off the bat, it ends up looking really good. But they don't realize it only looks really good because you did a little something. And then it becomes really, really easy to decide, well, I mean, a little a little here doesn't hurt. Oh, wow, a little. Oh, look, you did a little work on my nose. I've never looked better. I've never felt sexier. Why don't I go back and have him do a little work on my eyebrows? You know, those eyebrows look good, man. He is on point. I bet he could do a little something with my cheeks. Oh, I like that. You know what? I want him to do a little more with my cheeks. Ooh, that mole. I know people like it, but you know what? I'm going to get rid of that, too. Mm, oh, you know what? Now my face looks so good. My neck, you know, I'm going to have to do a little there and a little of this and a little of that and a little of this. And now you're not a natural beauty at all anymore. That plastic surgery stuff, I'm totally fine with it. I don't judge anybody. You do you, woman. You do you. You feel good. I'm not judging. Do it. Be very, very careful it doesn't become an addiction because, ladies, I know you're going to find this shocking. I'm going to say something nice to you. Women genuinely look better as they get older. Give me a 40, 45-year-old woman who takes care of herself over some 20-year-old idiot all day long. <laughs> Chris, that's such a great way to put that. Producer Chris has said to me, replace a board, not the whole deck. <laughs> it's true. You still need to look like you. And just so, I, just so I don't get screamed at by the tattoo people, although, you know, I don't care. This is what I mean about tattoo. Tattoos are the same way. For for chicks and dudes, this, this goes across the board. I have nothing against tattoos. I personally don't have any. I have considered it several times. It's not like I have something against them. Considered it several times. It's not something I ever went through with. It's a permanency permanency thing for me. Even if there's something I like, like I've considered a, a little 
Marine Corps tat that could be covered up with a T-shirt or something like that. And that, whatever. And look, if you have yourself painted head to toe, fine. It's your body. But I've seen so many people get one and love it. And one becomes two and two becomes three. And soon you have a spider web on your neck and can't get a job. I've seen it. I know you've seen it too. You know what I'm talking about, Chris. And I see it with hot chicks all the time. Oh, I think I'm going to get a... I may get a little a little star tattoo on my wrist, a little mini star. Yeah, okay, fine. fine. You know, I've I really like the little star. I think I'm going to get a a big old tramp stamp on my back or something like that. Oh, okay. I mean, I'll, that maybe not. All right, all right. That's fine. Oh, I really like that. I think I'm going to get a dragon across my torso. Wait, no. Wait, what? Really? No. I can't. What? That's how it happens. This stuff becomes an addiction. And now, because plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery, I guess I should call it. I don't think you're supposed to call it plastic surgery anymore, Chris. Cosmetic surgery is one of the best fields for a doctor to make money. Well, what happens? If you can make a lot of money doing it, that's where a lot of the talent goes. So you have all these super talented doctors that are doing this. It's, I mean, shoot, I've got, I bet you I pass 20 of these places on the way from my house to the office. It's just not difficult anymore. And it's become accepted and it becomes an addiction. So you do you. Look, and if if we're talking about the frontal things, you want to get yourself some bolt-ons, get yourself some bolt-ons. If, if, if you want to stick with whatever you got, stick with whatever you got. I'm not one of those guys. Whatever. You do you. But I'm just telling you, if you're going to do something, do one thing. And commit to yourself beforehand that you're going to do one thing. And I, this is easy for me to say. Well, hang on. I'll tell you in a second. You wouldn't take a chance on being evicted from your home, right? I mean, picture picture having that conversation with your spouse one day, walking home, walking in the door and saying, honey, pack up. We're being evicted. Imagine the look on their face. If your home title is out there unsecured, if you don't have home title lock, that might happen to you. It's happening to people. This is a cyber crime they haven't been able to contain yet because the home titles are online and they're so easy for these cyber thieves to get them. They get them, forge your signature on them, and when they do, they take a loan out against it that you have to pay back. I didn't say your home insurance. You have to pay that back. You won't even think you took out a loan until it's too late. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com. Don't forget to use the code JESSE when you get there. Get yourself 30 days for free. You do you. All right? Do you. No judgment here. But understand this, ladies. It's easy for me to say as a dude. Because dudes tend to 
get more handsome as we get older, up to a certain point. It's okay to get old. I mean, it is. I know you feel the pressure all around you, and everybody's an Instagram model now, and everybody's so beautiful, and ah, I watch the movies, and shit, I want to look like her. You're 50. You're 55. You're 60. You're not supposed to look like her, and you look stupid when you try. It's okay to get old. It's okay to get wrinkles. You're not young and perfect looking forever, and you're not supposed to be, and that's okay. My hair, I'm 39 years old. My hair is starting to thin on top, and it's starting to recede. It's, it's, what, it's what the Kellys do. I'll be, I'll be buzzing it fairly short shortly, because that's what you do when your hair starts falling out. And guess what? I don't give a crap. Not at all. I'm not, I'm not 18. I'm 39. My beard, I've got gray all through it. Guess what? Wife digs it. Chicks dig the beard, Chris. One more hour. Hang on. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. It is an ask Dr. Jesse Friday, and you guys have hammered away at some of these. Dr. Jesse, why do you think this post office thing is a big deal? Well, that's not exactly what I said. Let me clarify. There is no big deal when it comes to the post office. There's not. There's there's no controversy here. There's no conspiracy here. There's no Trump trying to steal the election. I know that. I know all this is based on nothing. My point is this. Democrats have spent years years. This is this was a concentrated concentrated effort started, I mean, in the 60s. Democrats have decided we have to infect every part of our culture. Hang on, I'm getting to your I'm getting to the answer here. And this is what they did. They got to the universities. They went hot and heavy into Hollywood. They went into music, they went into everything. What does that have to do with the post office? Well, this is what Because they own the American media, because they own American entertainment, it gives them a unique power now that even they have never had before because their power is so complete. They can take a complete non-controversy and make it one. When you own the American media and entertainment – and education, a controversy is whatever you say it is. This post office, we had uh, David, what was his name? I forget his name. We had David on on Wednesday this week from the Taxpayer Protections Alliance. And he went down all the facts of it. There's nothing to this. And I mean nothing. He just broke down the facts in a completely nonpartisan way. There's nothing to it. 
We are having an emergency session in Congress where the Postmaster General is forced to give a testimony in front of Congress over nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's why culture is so important. When you've cinched down that much control of it, you can do whatever you want. That's why I've said before, and people think I'm just being cynical or something like that. I'm not. We are in a post-law, post-constitutional era. Power is all that matters now. I don't mean, I'm not trying to bring you down, but you need to get that. And people talk, well, no, we need, to, we need the rule of law. Rule of law is something that only exists if everybody acknowledges it. You get that, right? If you and I, we decide to sit down and we're going to start our own country and we're going to come up with a list of laws. These are the laws of our country. Okay, good. That's awesome, right? We'll, We'll all stick to it. You stick to it. If I decide... I don't care about those laws anymore, then there is no rule of law. There is only a rule of law if it is mutually agreed upon. These leftists were smart enough to take over the district attorney offices in cities across the United States of America. And have you seen what they've done? They're not charging violent criminals with crimes. With, with crimes they know they did for purely political reasons. Okay, it's against the law. What does that mean? That doesn't do you any good if the district attorney in the city ain't going to charge you with the crime, does it? That's what I mean when I say post-constitutional era. It's, we don't live in a rule of law era. And I don't love that. But how long, how often do we talk about history on the show? Every day, right? It's also not uncommon. At some point in time, civil societies break down. It's just the way it is. It's absolutely the way it is. Dr. Jesse, do you really read all the emails like you say you do? Now, let me clarify. You can email me. I want you to. I love your feedback. I love it. The email address is jesse at jessekellyshow.com. That's jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Please send me your emails. I want them. All right? Clear? Want them. But when I say I read them, I mean I read them if you're going to keep them concise. On my life, Chris will vouch for this. I am not making it up. Somebody who I will not name this week, sent me a 31-page email, single-spaced. I'm not going to read a word of that. Chris, you know, he, Chris gets all the emails, and he prints them off for me. It took Chris three staples to give me this email. I can't even believe he handed it to me, but I make him hand me all of them, right? And I just flat out told him, the next time someone sends something like this, just hit delete. People do not understand the value of brevity 
and the value of other people's time. And it drives me insane. Maybe this is my fault. Maybe it's I'm a bad person. But understand, you're a busy person. I am busy. I'm doing all this radio and TV and guest hits. And and plus, I mean, I have other parts of my life too. You know, family, everything else. And I'll get uh, I'll get texts from people of, hey, give me a call. No, you can put it in text message. Don't add something to my calendar because you want to talk to me. Put it in a text message. If for some reason you can't possibly explain that in text message, maybe I will call when I get a chance. But I talk on the air for four hours every day. Three hours of radio, one hour of TV. Don't text me asking me to call you unless it is critically important that we speak on the phone. I'll talk to you. I'll text you when I can. When I'm done with this show and I wait and I do my TV and I take off from that and I drive home, I'm not going to talk to you. Because I'm not going to talk to anybody. I don't talk to my wife on the way home. Maybe a quick phone call. I'm on the way home. You need me to pick up something from the store. Good to go. Hang up. Because I'm done talking for the day. That's Look, that's because when I get home, I've got to talk to the kids. Got to talk to the family. That's stuff too. But people don't respect other people's time enough. I have friends like this. It drives me up the wall. Hey, call me. Hey, hey, um, can you explain what's happening right now with, uh, with, with Joe Biden? I get this all the time. Hey man, I need you to break down for me. What happened? Uh, what, what's happening with the DNC convention? Give me a call. I just talked about it for four hours a day. Listen to the tele, listen to the radio show, watch the television show. Don't ask me to get off work and go right back to work because you want personal attention. It's simply not going to happen. And I realize all this makes me sound like a big jerk. But it would be like me approaching a car mechanic buddy of mine and saying, hey, when you knock off, will you come over and take a look at my engine tonight? No. I wouldn't, it would never even, I would never dream of it. I would purposely avoid the subject, naturally assuming that he's really kind of done with that for the day. Hey, man, whenever you get done at, uh, at Jiffy Lube, would you mind coming over and changing my oil real quick? Uh, don't screw yourself. That's what I would say to me in that situation. Don't ask me for a special phone conversation. Relatives. Sorry, did I say that out loud? Hang on. Ebb sleep is life changing, career changing. I just Talking about me for a moment, as you know, I love to do. When I get to the studio, I have to prepare 
for shows. Prepare for radio shows. Prepare for TV shows. I have to read this. Check out that. Listen to this video. You know what it's like doing that when you're just exhausted? There are so many days I just didn't. I would just tell producer Chris, I'll just, I'll, I'll meet you on the show. I'll just figure something out because I'm so tired. I know what you're going through. I know what it's like to not sleep, and I don't have to go through it anymore because I got an ebb sleep. Go experience what I've experienced. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Don't forget to use the code Jesse at checkout. They get you 25 bucks off in a 60-day risk-free trial. It is an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, 877-377-4373. 877-377-4373. I have a tough question here. I think it's a tough question, Chris. Maybe you will disagree. Star Trek or Star Wars? Chris, let's hear it. Well, hold on, hold on. Let me clarify. Do you like Star Trek or Star Wars? You like Star Trek. You've never seen Star Wars. I, I get that. Um, that's really freaking weird. I don't. Let me clarify. I think the people who get super into Star Wars and dress up like a Wookiee to go to the new Star Wars movie, I find that to be very odd. Very odd to get that into a movie. That said. You have to see Star Wars. It is like one of the, the now. Listen, hear me out. This is part of our culture. You can like it or dislike it. Star Wars is so humongous. It's part of our culture. Why would you see Star Trek and not Star Wars? That doesn't even make sense. You're such an idiot. He said he's already seen the best Star Wars movie there is, Spaceballs. All right, the question was asked to me, though, and since Chris is an idiot, it's kind of an unfair comparison, though, right? Because Star Wars was a movie and Star Trek was a TV show. I know they've made movies, and I actually like the Star Trek movies. I would say Star Wars... Probably solely because I thought I had Jedi powers for a while when I was a kid and I would stare at what? Shut up, Chris. And I would stare at things and hold my hand out like trying to get it to move. It never moved. That movie's a bunch of crap, Chris. No, I don't have chlorine in my blood. What are you talking about? Oh, metachlorines? All right, whatever. Dr. Jesse, you rant all the time against college. Where are you sending your kids to school? One, let's be frank. They're my children. The chances either of my kids are even going to qualify to go to college are real slim. Very, very slim. Maybe if they're lucky, they'll get into my community college, which was fully accredited, I should say. But understand, I'm staring at a headline right here. This is from a Texas A&M professor. He says it's good news Louis Gomer got got COVID, and he hopes fat Klansmen Trump and Pence get it too, like stupid Herman Cain. 
That's an anthropology professor. These people are not. How many times have you heard me read you headlines like this? They are all over American universities. And here's what's wild. That's the one you know about. That's the guy who's dumb enough to put up a Facebook post with that, with that information. So for every one of him, there's what, 50, 100 who think exactly like, like that, but don't put it online? I don't know what I'm going to do about my kids in college. I will tell you this. I'm going to drive it into their heads. You are not going to college. Not for one second. Not spending one dime on it. Unless you have a specific job you're aiming for. A specific goal. And it wasn't like that when I was a kid. It should have been. But to excuse my parents, they didn't know. It should have been like that, but the thinking was simply this, and we have got to break this mindset. The thinking was finish high school, go to college. It was, it was that simple. Finish high school, go to college. That's what you did. Chris, you know what I'm talking about? That was the thinking. I told you one time we had a, a stand-in producer for Chris when Chris was out screwing off. Who knows what he was doing? Probably doing stupid woodwork or something. And the, the stand-in producer, his name was Josh. I don't want to give his last name because I don't know if he wants to continue giving this out. And we had a conversation on the air. He went through the exact same thing. You finish high school, you go to college. You finish high school, you go to college. That's what his parents always told him. That's what society aimed him to do. He was a board operator for a local radio station. Probably making... And I'm guessing here, I didn't ask him. I don't like asking people that. I'm guessing he made 20 grand a year. He was $100,000 in debt for college. That is criminal. Absolutely criminal. Talk about setting the poor boy back for 10 years, Chris? 15? That kid's going to be 45, 50 years old before he gets that paid back. That's if things work out. I mean, bad breaks happen. How many of you are out of out of work right now? Look around you. You see any empty shops? Oh, sorry. That 10, 15-year payoff just became 25, 30 because I can't even afford to eat, let alone pay back my college loans. That is unacceptable. My kids, if they go to college... They will be there for a specific reason. Oh, I want to be a blank and I'm going to college. And there are kids out there like that today, which I find amazing. Some of our best friends, one of their kids has wanted to be a dentist since he was 14 years old. I didn't know what I wanted to do at the age of 25 since he was 14. He wanted to be a dentist and now he's going off to college heading towards being a dentist. That's awesome. You're going there with a specific goal, fine. But when I grew up, the way it was, was you go right to college and then you just major in general studies for a couple years while you try to figure it out. That ain't ever happening with my daggone kids. And look, it was, it was a horrible mistake for me too. I, know, I, I own that. But remember, I got a 0.0 grade point average my first semester at college. Shut up, Chris. It was a fun semester. 
Had a lot of fun, but a 0.0. People say you have to try to do that. That's not true at all. It takes no effort whatsoever. I didn't even show up for some of my finals. What was I doing at college? I had no purpose, no direction, no desire to be there. I hated school. Why in the world? And by the way, I paid out of my own pocket for that first semester of college. Why? I realize I'm a young, lazy, immature idiot. That's why I joined the Marine Corps after my first year of college. Why was I there? What was I doing there? I had no business being there. So that's a long way of saying if they have a reason, they can go. Where they go, we're going to have to sit down and have a long talk about it. Chris brought up Liberty University. I have on a guest all the time on my TV show by the name of Dave Bratt. He's actually the dean of business at Liberty University. This is the type of guy you want teaching your kids. So, yes, I think Liberty's in Virginia, isn't it, Chris? Find out where Liberty is. In Virginia, even though they've kind of lost their mind and their governor's an idiot, Virginia is a gorgeous state. It's one of the coolest states out there. They have the best seasons of any state in the United States of America. Summer, spring, fall's beautiful. Winter's cool. Get some snow on the ground. I love Virginia. But Liberty, I'd consider. It is Virginia, right? I knew it was. God, I'm so smart. My mind, Chris, is like a, I don't know what you, it's like a masterpiece. I think you'd, what? It's probably a masterpiece. I can just see God when he made my mind and he said to himself, man, I nailed that. Absolutely nailed that. What? Maybe that's not exactly what he said, but it's probably something similar to that. Don't be jealous of my mind, Chris. It's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, 877-377-4373, 877-377-4373. We're about to talk to Raheem Kassam. Hang on. Talk radio revolution. Jesse Kelly. Home title lock is necessary. It's not often you've heard me come on here and tell you a product or a service is necessary, but it is. You lock your doors at night, right? Well, wh- why? Why not just let anyone in? That's how unsecured your home title is. It's like sitting there with not your doors unlocked, sitting there with your doors open waiting for someone to come in and take over your home. Your home title is online. They will find it. They will forge your signature on it. They will take a loan out against it, and they will take you to the cleaners. You will have to pay that loan back, not your home insurance. You will have to pay it back. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Make sure you use the code JESSE while you're there. I'm trying to save you some money. That gets you 30 days free. You need it. HomeTitleLock.com.
joining me now. It has been way, way, way too long. Editor-in-chief of the National Pulse and co-host of the War Room Pandemic Podcast, the Cretan Raheem Raheem Kassam. Raheem, let me ask you something. Are we actually going to see anybody significant going to jail over this whole FBI fiasco? Don't give me Kevin Kleinsmith, somebody significant. Is there a chance? Well, firstly, Jesse, <laughs> thank you for having me back. Um, I, I, I know I was persona non grata for a while after I told you that jalapeno poppers were the devil's food. Uh, and and I just want to say, if you, if, you know, we're reunited after all this time and you play that intro music, you couldn't go on with something a little bit more, you know, bromancy for us here. I mean, <laughs> look. Um, that's all you deserve. Question, yeah. In answer to your question, Jesse, I think there's a chance. I just think all these people who are out there right now waiting for these uh, uh, million-dollar, billion-dollar October surprises, which, which you know, look like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama being let off in handcuffs, are on a hiding to nowhere. We should not put, be putting all of our eggs uh, in the basket of the Justice Department. We should not be putting all of our eggs uh, in the basket of the swamp turning on itself. And while I have huge respect, uh, for this Attorney General and, and Bull Durham and other other such characters. You have to understand there is a massive apparatus that is working 24-7 to make sure that nothing comes of the truth uh, that we all can see uh, developing before our very eyes. Uh, so I think, uh, as we did in 2016, this election will have to be won on the merits of the case, and that is economic nationalism versus what we've seen at the DNC over the last two days, pathos an emotion, uh, neoliberalism, neoconservatism, but with a patina of social justice. Raheem, break down for me as best you can the apparatus. What What is, I mean, people talk about the swamp and the system and, and the apparatus. What is it? Is it judges? Is it lawyers? Bureaucracy? Is it the FBI? What is the apparatus that protects these scumbags all the time? You know, a lot of people might think it's a caricature of Washington, D.C., uh, for me to say I can't walk outside of my house um, and uh, without being within a stone's throw of somebody that is tied to the political establishment, somebody who has been part of this rules-based, neoliberal, globalist world order that was put together uh, since the 1950s, really. But it's absolutely true. For every decent, hardworking patriot in Washington, D.C., there are 15 thousand people who are part of uh, the administrative state. Now, that can be at a judicial level, as you say. It could be at an administrative level. A lot of these people that we're seeing, whether it's the people who are being indicted or the people who are going up in the uh, impeachment testimony and saying, oh, well, you know, the president didn't listen to our advice, and that's why he needs to be removed from office. You have to understand, they believe it when they say those things. They genuinely believe that the president is there to service the administrative state and not the other way around. And this has been something that has been developed, uh, as, as you've seen across the pond as well, with the civil service that was developed to take power away from elected politicians uh, in the United Kingdom. The same thing is happening now, and it's all a part of managed decline. It's all a part of how we actually reduce the power of the people in any given circumstance. This is why when the Democrats get up there and say, oh, the president is a threat to democracy, 
it is the single most hypocritical thing that I think that the Democrats, barring putting Bill Clinton up on their social justice stage, could possibly be saying, because the Democratic Party of America, and many people in the Republican Party, by the way, as we've seen in the last few days, do not, they fundamentally do not care about the will of the people as expressed in a democracy. Raheem, what's the solution for an administrative state that big, that powerful, that out of control? How does, how does a nation stop itself from ever getting to that point? And once you're at that point where we are now, how do you reverse it? Can it be done? You are at a point of, in, you're an inflection point here in this country, as the United Kingdom was at an inflection point uh, around the First World War, uh, where the sovereign, where, where the debt crisis has reached such a uh, distinct position, where your uh, international adversaries have leached away jobs from you, have really uh, uh, funded a lot of these social unrest situations that we're seeing all over the country, that have infiltrated the academic circles, uh, that lead the media, that own much of the media, and certainly own much of big tech. Um, and, and, and digital and AI coming down the pipeline as well. So you are at this really, really delicate inflection point here. In order to beat them, we need anything but delicacy, however. You need another 10 to 15 years of Donald Trump-style presidencies. Now, that's not to say that I've got everything out of the first year of the Trump administration that I think could have been done to smash the administrative state, but they've surely made a significant dent, and that's why the left is panicking so hard about this election. It's why they can't find their footing. It's why we look at the DNC and it's, it's, it's more like a telethon than anything that involves any logos, any logic, any substance, any policy, and certainly no ethos because they can't put anyone ethical up there because guess what? There is nobody ethical in Washington, D.C. and in the administrative state. Why? Because their entire uh, raison d'etre comes down to selling out their own country. And if you're willing to sell out your own country, you're willing to do anything. So my attitude towards this is get another four years of the Trump administration. That'll be fine. That'll be good. That'll, it'll look good by the end of it. But more to the point, more important than that, is that you get another eight years and then another eight years after that of economic nationalism. There can be no Nikki Haley's. There can be no Marco Rubio's. There can be no John Bolton's. It has to be this way. Why no Nikki Haley? And by the way, I'm no Nikki Haley fan. Uh, I want you to lay out your reasons for no Nikki Haley because I see people on the right Somehow, I think they've made her into something she's absolutely not. I, I, I disagree with this completely, but in your own words, why no Nikki Haley? Well, Nikki Haley is very much of that same uh, Republican establishment mold. She just happened to understand how she could keep a job and do very well. I understand that she wasn't doing very financially well before the Trump administration. and She wanted uh, a leg up to do something. And, and just like the John Boltons of the world, they see it in, they take that position, and it's only for a very short period of time. We've seen Nikki Haley uh, air towards neoliberalism, both economically and neoconservatism in foreign policy terms. It always slips out. You see, you see it every so often. And I wish I had my all my examples up in front of me. I didn't know I'd get onto the subject of Nikki Haley, but maybe we can get into it in detail another time. But Nikki Haley represents the wing of the uh, Republican Party that, that was supposed to be thrown out last time. And I, by the way, I have no animus towards Nikki Haley as a human being. I don't know her. I couldn't care less about, you know, how good a human being is she. I'm sure she's just fine. But philosophically, she represents something that we are supposed to have left behind and something that will drag us back down, drag us into more foreign 
foreign wars, drag us into more collaboration uh, with America's enemies abroad, just like the Republican Party has done over the last 10, 15, 20 years before President Trump came along. And she's not the worst culprit of all of this. She's just the first name that came to mind. But, But there is a layer of the Republican establishment out there that are waiting in the wings and waiting to come back. You've got the Lincoln Project as the aggressors from the outside, and you have people aggressing uh, the Trump administration and, and, and economic nationalism from the inside, and she's part of that inside faction. Okay, so where do we turn after Trump? You say we need 15 more years of him. We only have four. Lord willing, we don't even know if we're going to have that. Who is the guy or guys we should be looking to? Look, I think there are a whole host of people out there right now that names are being floated around, and and it could come from outside of politics again. A lot of people like the idea of somebody like Tucker Carlson running on a Republican ticket. I think that's fanciful. I'm not sure he would want to do it. You know, he's got enough problems leveled at him from the left without running for public office. But at the same time, I think there are people who have served in government that would be extraordinarily good, either in a presidential or a vice presidential ticket. For instance, I would think that Peter Navarro, for instance, would be a phenomenal vice presidential candidate. His work in tackling the Chinese Communist Party, his work in bringing uh, back American jobs to the United States is almost uh, almost uh, unrivaled in that field. So I'd love to see Navarro as part of a leading team uh, in the future on something like this. Raheem Kassam, thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Thanks, brother. Be good. You know, That actually was fairly encouraging. It sounds like, I understand it's not good news. I I get that it's not good news, Chris. Don't be such a Debbie Downer. All right, hang on one second. You need some Raycon earbuds, and you need them because, well, that's going to be the only thing you use from now on to listen to information. They are that incredible. I don't even use the Bluetooth speakers I have around my home anymore. I don't use my truck stereo anymore. I don't know why I would use anything else. And you know my Raycon earbuds? You know their charge lasts for six hours in this thing? They are just something different. Whether you're doing podcasts, conference calls, video chats, they are versatile. They pair easily with Bluetooth. The bass is incredible. The design is nice and noise isolating, meaning you're not blasted by all the sound around you, ruining your music, ruining your podcasts. Go get yourself some. Go to buyraycon.com slash jesse. That's buyraycon.com slash jesse for 15% off your earbud. We are nearing the end of our Ask Dr. Jesse Friday show, and I have sadly missed some of your questions, so I'm going to attempt to churn through them now as quickly as humanly possible. I'm even foregoing the headlines today, Chris. Foregoing the headlines, focusing on the questions, because I'm a man of the people, Chris. Obviously, I'm above the people because I'm the shogun. 
I'm more important. What? It's very important. People who talk on the radio are more important than people who aren't on the radio. <laughs> Funny little story about that. You remember during all the coronavirus stuff when it first got passed down and we didn't know how severe everything was going to get. And they were talking about they were talking about potentially bringing in the National Guard to keep people off the roads. People don't realize how bad it got. And how do I know that? Because I got issued a special pass that would get me through National Guard checkpoints and get me clear to the studio. You got one too? Chris still has a pass? And I and I asked, I wrote back, I said, when they sent me the email, I wrote back, I said, why? I mean, thanks for the pass, I appreciate it, but why? And they said, you're considered essential personnel? <laughs> Listen to me. <clears throat> I'm glad you enjoy the show. I enjoy doing the show. I'm glad you put up with all this nonsense. I am. I am the definition of non-essential. It's just radio. I just want to make your day better for 15 minutes on your way to work. That's all. Maybe we talk a little history together, share some laughs, talk about some politics, but I've never gotten maybe maybe well maybe I'll be different ten years from now if I actually make it that long without getting fired. I've never ever ever understood this. I'm changing the world thing. I've never gotten that ever. I'm leading this. I'm not leading anything. I'm on the radio. I'm on TV. I love 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 that you write me and tell me. You sit down and watch it with your wife. You watch it with your husband. You enjoy it with your kids. I like that. Enjoy it. It's really not that important. You're not supposed to say that, are you, Chris? You're supposed to, you're supposed to act like it's, it's the end of the world. Believe me, it's not. Anyway, but according to uh, FEMA, or whoever it was that gave us that pass, I think it was FEMA, wasn't it? According to FEMA... I am essential personnel, much more important than, you know, all the other peasants, Chris, the peasant people. All right, Dr. Jesse, how long do you think Texas will remain a red state? I hear this all the time, not just from people in Texas, from everywhere. I don't know. I do get the distinct impression Texas is getting more and more blue. You remember that idiot, Beto O'Rourke. Ted Cruz barely beat Beto O'Rourke. Close race. Now, there was a lot that went to that. Beto outspent Ted Cruz two or three to one. We were coming fresh off that hotly contested GOP primary where Cruz and Trump were at each other's throats. Texas really loved Trump, so there was some animosity there for Cruz. I'm a huge Cruz guy. I love the guy. But... Don't get too comfortable. And the sad thing is the reason I get this question so much from people outside of Texas is, man, are we so screwed if Texas goes blue? Because if you look at the electoral map, if the Democrats take Texas and we don't take back something significant from them, something like California, it's over. You don't even have to have a presidential election. Just hand it to the next Democrat because it is over, Jack. 
That is not, that's not a good thing. That's, you know what? We're moving on. That's depressing. It's the end of a Friday show. We can't, can't talk about that stuff, Chris. What is your problem? All right. Dr. Jesse, if you had the unilateral authority to do so, what's the first federal department you would close? Instinct, instinct tells you it should be the IRS. But in reality, doesn't the IRS serve a legitimate purpose? You do have to have somebody collecting the taxes. I'm no IRS fan, as you well know, but someone has to collect the taxes. Chris, am I crazy? That's a, that's a great way to put that, Chris. I'm going to take credit for that. I just had this thought, and the thought is you can't blame the IRS for charging you too much. That's Congress. I'm glad I thought of that. The EPA? The EPA is garbage, man. The EPA is garbage. And don't act like I'm one of these people who hates the environment. I despise littering. I, I read, well, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the person who grew up in the mountains of Montana picking up a can if I saw it on the side of the road. The first is probably Department of Education. Got to be Department of Education or the EPA. I don't even know who you'd consider above those two. Is there someone I'm missing? Who am I forgetting? Oh, Chris, I forgot Chris was really firing brimstone today. Chris wants to go FBI. Maybe we should have that conversation. Hang on. Look at the market right now. Do you think it's odd the market is that high right now when we have over 50 million Americans unemployed and the Fed has been printing unbacked money like they have never printed in the history of the United States of America? My goodness, please listen to me. You need a gold IRA from Gold Alliance. It's your financial future. You worked hard for that money you've invested really hard. Don't watch people in Washington ruin everything you've worked hard for. Gold has always had value, has value now, and always will because it's gold. And if you go to goldalliance.com slash jesse, you can get up to $5,000 in free gold and silver coins. That's goldalliance.com slash jesse, goldalliance.com slash jesse. Let it be known for all the feds who are monitoring this show, it was Chris, not me, that said we should eliminate the FBI first. And just because he's probably 100% right doesn't mean anything. And this is what I mean. The FBI just got busted falsifying information so they could get a warrant to spy on an opponent of the President of the United States. I know the FBI has done a million and one incredible things. That alone, in my opinion, should result in the complete destruction of the agency. Complete and total. Finish them. 
as that John F. Is that JFK saying goes about the CIA breaking into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the winds? That's what should be done. And don't give me that garbage about it was just the leadership. Um, that's what an organization is. It's the leadership. Don't give me that. That's what it is. If all the people at the top, one, tried to torpedo Trump's chances, and two, remember they were trying to get the 25th Amendment cited to get him bounced from office? Nah. You can't. All right. That's all. Jesse Kelly Show. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Chew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.